Well, welcome back, everybody, to Live Longer, the podcast. And today I have a fascinating guest in studio with me. He's an eminent surgeon from King's College Hospital, a neurosurgeon. And I've worked closely with this individual over many, many years. He's one of the most compassionate, excellent surgeons I've ever met. And today he's agreed to give up a few minutes of his time for our daily soundbite, looking into the challenges faced by surgeons, particularly orthopaedic and neurosurgeons in the face of COVID. So welcome, Mr. David Bell. David, welcome. Oh, thanks very much, Millie. Nice to speak to you. Lovely to have you here and thank you very much. I know you're under pressure with, you know, Christmas coming and all of the surgical commitments you have. So um, I'll try not to delay you too long, but I would love to hear from you. You know, it's been a huge year again and the pressures on the NHS and how has it impacted, you know, your practice? It, it must have had an extraordinary impact on elective surgeries as well as an emergency surgeries. Well, it's just affected every aspect of care, really. Obviously, just trying to see patients and operate on them has been a challenge uh, the the biggest barrier i mean within the health service a lot of elective surgery just had to stop and that was completely appropriate and correct in you know in the face of so much uh, overwhelming illness from covid but people have been stuck at home with, with sort of long-term disability for, in my area from, from back problems They've really, really struggled, and we we see people presenting late now with uh, complications of, of of having been in pain for so long. And the, the only flip side of that, it's a lot of of the conditions that that, that I deal with to do with uh, back pain and, and trapped nerves are self limiting, and so there has been a significant proportion of people who who said the opposite, which is that if if they'd been able to see me six months ago, they 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 would have needed a lot of help and and yet their conditions are starting to uh, to get better and, and so so some of the sort of natural behavior of the condition that we don't normally observe because we tend to intervene sooner has been more obvious to us and more apparent this year that's fascinating and actually as a rheumatologist and, and you and I share many patients I have noticed as well that patients are seeking out attention much later and they're also saying well you know I tried the physio and I've lost weight and actually my back pain is is a lot better so do you think this will overall be better for reducing the burden of illness for back pain? Uh, well it's interesting I think what, one, one of the things it's done is shifted people's priorities in, in that perhaps people have been more accepting of, of symptoms that in, in pre-COVID times they wouldn't have been. In some respects people have perhaps got a less reliance on, on doctors from that perspective. It, funnily we, <laughs> we did have a, a spike of people who hurt their back doing uh, sort of patients in perhaps in their 70s or 80s who had rather enthusiastically gone to do Joe Wick oh, on yeah. the television. <laughs> who uh, that certainly, my own father was one of those. That they all say that they've never felt so good in their life, but also they had so much back pain. So I, I think there's always a lesson that that uh, you can have too much of a good thing, uh, particularly if there wasn't much else to do. Yes, but but I think people getting outside. I think particularly during the lockdowns, perhaps the only thing that people could do was go for walks and get outside. And I think. In the winter, in particular, the combination of exercise, fresh air, and daylight is undoubtedly the best thing for everyone. And I know, even in my own free time, I notice that that there's just nothing better than that at this time of year. And I think perhaps the lack of, of office stimulation and the lack of contact drove everybody outside, and that that can only have been a good thing. Yes, forest bathing, isn't it? Embrace nature. Yeah, well, yeah, tree bathing or forest bathing. Yeah, mm. I agree. I, although sometimes I, the, these terms like uh, forest bathing or wild swimming 
I think uh, perhaps uh, I find them perhaps slightly over-egging it, but uh, everyone will be different on that one. Exactly. So, David, what are the barriers to you delivering care apart from, you know, elective surgeries having to be cancelled because of patients testing positive with COVID and physically not being able to get into the facilities? Any other barriers to you delivering excellent care? Yeah, very much. I, I, I feel quite strongly that as a surgeon, you have to develop a, a close and trusting relationship with your patients. And some of that is, is about being a sort of high quality diagnostician uh, in, in that you, you really need to spend time with your patients, watching how they move and listening to what they tell you. And I feel as though that the, the, the social isolation that the whole community has had to go through combined with with PPE and face masks I mean that the quality of interaction with patients I think we all became a bit de-skilled and, and maybe in the last couple of months as we've opened up a bit but before Omicron maybe things started to improve but I feel as though something has been lost uh, through through zoom consultations through telephone consultations and even in face-to-face consultations and I think it's only when uh, only now we're starting to realize just how much that reduced the quality of interactions with patients and I, and I the thing I most look forward to getting back to is is really having those high quality time with uh, relationship building experiences with the patients which is it's important not only to get the diagnosis right but it's also very important with respect to the trust between patients and so particularly with surgeons I think because I, I I've never been a physician but I think Patients need to trust us if, if they're going to be prepared to allow us to uh, tinker with their insights. Yes, and I think this sentiment was um, reflected much earlier in the season when I interviewed a hand surgeon, Donald Samet, and he said the biggest part of his job is relationship building in the outpatients. Exactly what you've just said, David. And of course, as you've mentioned, COVID does detract from that. And, and how are we going to find ways to overcome that, do you think? Because the restrictions are going to not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, in simple terms, I think we're perhaps going to have to accept that on the balance of risks, if, as we hope, the risk faced by COVID diminishes, then we need to put a greater emphasis on on accepting that risk in order to have high quality patient contact. I don't think that the digital solutions will ever, unless we change as a species to the point at which so little of our interaction is done face-to-face in sort of some sort of dystopian future, uh, unless unless that's where we all end up, I, I think there's never going to be a substitute for face-to-face consultations and we're going to have to just work around the risk rather than avoiding it. Yes, and I think we have to weave in the digital solutions to leverage our time, like we've done even in the um, the digital solution that you and I have helped um, build with Iona. This, this is a tool to enable us to deliver excellent clinician-patient engagement, but it's not instead of, it's an addition to. No, I, I would agree. It's, it's, it enhances, but doesn't replace. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Well, look, thank you so much, David, for giving up your time this afternoon. And um, may I wish you a a very happy holidays and Christmas for you and your family. Thanks very much, Millie, and to you and yours. And thanks to my listeners. And tune in tomorrow for our next bite with another clinician who will be talking about a different aspect, cardiology tomorrow. Bye for now.